Today's episode of the Fanboy Podcast is brought to you by you. Well, at least it can be if you'll consider becoming a Patreon patron. See, between this and the other great shows on the Revenge of the Fans Podcast Network, as well as the site itself, which is our lifeblood thanks to the daily work of our voluntary workforce of passionate fans, we produce countless hours of content per month and we ask for nothing in return. But it takes a great deal of time and effort to create this all for you, which is why we've relaunched our Patreon page this week with the hope that you'll consider contributing to the cause. Aside from helping to keep the site and its podcasts running, you'll also get access to exclusive benefits, including bonus episodes, commentary tracks, vote and polls to determine what gets discussed, exclusive access to scoops, and behind-the-scenes gossip, a.k.a. bochinche, including stuff too wild to post on the site an appearance on the RTF podcast of your choosing, and exclusive merchandise. Interested? Then visit patreon.com slash revengeofthefans today. Now, let's get to the show. The Fanboy, episode 87. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 87 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Now, those of you who are watching as opposed to listening, uh, you might wonder why I'm so dressed up. I got a shirt and a tie on today, and the reason I am so dressed up is because yesterday I quietly celebrated a small milestone. You know, last year I made a very big deal out of it, but for this year I just kind of kept it kind of quiet. But yesterday, February 14th, marked two years since the launch of this show. It marks two years since that fateful day when I awoke from being let go from Latino Review, LRM Online. Uh, you know, I had been let go on February 13th, 2017, and the very next day I, I woke up and I decided, you know what? I'm not going to let the dream die. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, if I can't do Lost Fanboys anymore, I'm going to do L Fanboy. So I launched the L Fanboy podcast. I launched LFanboy.com. And basically from, every, from February 14th onward began this whole new journey that we're on together. And it's evolved quite a bit over the years. Uh, you know, as you could tell, we're not L Fanboy. We're the Fanboy now. Rather than LFanboy.com, now we're RevengeOfTheFans.com. And I have a whole team and there's all these other podcasters now. Yeah, but it all began in the decision that I made two years ago yesterday to not just go quietly into the night and allow what happened at Latino Review to be the end of my story. So I want to thank those of you who've been here with me from the beginning. Like, I have to send a special shout out to my core sort of trinity of supporters. And if I leave anyone out, you know, listen, there's a lot of people who've made this a very special two years for me. But when I think about my most vocal, my most ardent, and con and to this day, my most consistent supporters, I always go back to Aaron Verola, Davo Borrego, and Chris Lasanti. Those three guys have been with me through thick and thin here, and I want to thank you guys. And it, it makes it extra special for me, by the way, that this week, Davo 
showed up on Chris and Aaron's podcast. Because yes, at some point in the middle of 2018, Chris and Aaron stopped just being listeners and supporters and followers, but they launched their own show, The Fanboy Garage, which is was, was the first real expansion of the Revenge of the Fans podcast network. The first show that I wasn't on that we kind of brought into the fold. So Aaron and Chris have their own show. It comes out every Thursday. And, and they brought on Tavo Borrego yesterday to talk about some wrestling and it was you know, it's a really cool episode I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet but when I was reading the description and I realized wow Tavo, Aaron and Chris all in the same episode and these are the guys who told me and pushed me to not give up and who helped retweet and sound the alarm when instead of a Lost Fanboys podcast episode arriving on Tuesday the 14th, that an L fanboy, a singular solo show would be launching in its place. You know, they helped ring the alarms for that. And I think they're one of the reasons why some like my initial download numbers were insane. I mean, I remember talking to Jammer, the editor-in-chief of Latino Review, uh, who, by the way, was very sad to see me go and you know, he was not happy with the corporate decision that led to my ouster from the site. But when I told him what my numbers were, he couldn't believe it. It was practically the, I pretty much picked up where we left off. I brought like more than half of the Los Fanboys audience to see L Fanboy. And that really wouldn't have happened, by the way, if I hadn't struck while the iron was hot. You know, I was fired on a Monday night and I knew that Tuesday afternoons, people would be looking for a Los Fanboys. And I said, all right, well, they're not going to get a loss, fanboys, because both myself and Kelvin Chavez, the founder of the site, are gone. So I will give them an L fanboy show. And I brought Kelvin on with me. And uh, it was a cool move. And it was a cool, it was a great day. My, my, my initial downloads were off to a phenomenal start. And it's just been a thrill to kind of see this entire solo venture sort of evolve the way it has, you know, and, and that's kind of be, it's going to be something we talk about a lot today, I think, you know, when, when I was preparing my notes for the day, it became clear that the idea of things changing, the, the idea of things slowly evolving in a new and exciting direction, that theme has kind of come up through a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, another reason I'm, I'm wearing this particular shirt and tie is to honor the humble beginnings of all this. Because my very first solo video that I ever put on YouTube uh, after you know being fired and doing all that stuff was a video review for Logan because that was the first press screening I got to participate in as, a, as an independent, as a freelance member of the press. And it was about a week after I got let go. So Logan will always hold a very special place in my heart. The video review for that got over a thousand views, even though I was really just a nobody at that time. So people seemed to like what I had to say. And it was also just part of that, you know, me testing the water, seeing does anyone give a crap what's on my mind? And people loved that Logan video for whatever reason. So when I was thinking about how should I dress for the show today in celebrating the two-year anniversary, I went back and looked at the very first video I ever did. I'm wearing this shirt and tie, and even though it fits me a lot tighter now, because I've, I've put on like 20 pounds since then, because, you know, I'm living good. I'm, uh, I'm living some of the good life here. I'm perhaps living it a little too hard, and I gotta lose some weight so that my shirts can fit me. Um, 
But yes, so that's why, uh, that's just some of the housekeeping I wanted to do here at the start of the show. That explains the shirt and tie. That shines a spotlight on the two years of this show and what it's led to. And uh, as part of this sort of general housekeeping, I also have to thank you guys. Because I've gotten four, four more reviews since last week's episode. Last week's episode seemed to you know build on the momentum from the previous week. We're talking a lot of Batman stuff, and you guys seem to like that. And last week was a lot of Superman stuff. Today we're going to be covering a lot of that again. Some new insights, some new thoughts on everything that's developed since then. But the feedback was great. And I've been asking you guys to really show up with the reviews to kind of continue growing this thing and continue to keep it at the top, the number one fanboy podcast on Apple. And you guys have really shown up. You've really, really shown up. So uh, true to my promises, I'm going to read these five-star reviews before we get into sort of, you know, today's big bullet points, okay? So the first one goes out to Corona40OZ. Corona, I think that's you, Marcos. Um, over on Twitter, he wrote, Honest, Objective, Enlightening, and he put five stars. And he wrote, We all live busy lives. Businesses are always competing for our time and attention. So when I give my time to something, it's because it gives me great value. Mario's podcast is something I look forward to each week. He is an incredible orator for all things fanboy. His reporting is honest, even-handed, and objective. When he does offer an introspective analysis to the latest rumor or report, he makes it very clear that these ideas are his own. Many other sites and podcasts have really blurred the lines between reporting and opinion pieces. Mario does not do that, and I appreciate it. Mario has also made it a point not to just spew the latest rumor until he has vetted it, analyzed it, and then dissected it to figure out what else it could possibly it could possibly mean for X, Y, and Z, which is what a journalist should do. Marco, I should hire you to write a press release about me. Uh, Marco also wrote, I always leave the podcast feeling like I've taken a journey and been given some kind of optimistic nugget to take with me. Keep on doing what you're doing, Mario. My only word of advice is if you need to up is you need to up the Insta game, I guess Instagram. Uh, untapped market on there that can be funneled to your website. Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words and thanks for the advice. I listen, I know Instagram is a blind spot for me. Heck, so is Facebook. You know, our, our Revenge of the Fans Facebook page, the actual, you know, not the Facebook group where community members get to talk to one another. But the Facebook page, you know, all it really has on there are reposts of all of our daily, you know, articles. I don't really interact with people there and we don't have special Facebook specific posts. And the same goes to Instagram. Instagram doesn't get a lot of love. So I know, Marco, it's just, I need help. If anyone out there watching wants to like, help handle Revenge of the Fans' uh, social media stuff, you know, drop me an email and we'll, we'll, we'll try to work something out. Because, listen, I know it's a blind spot for me, but there's only so much I could do. A lot of this is still sort of a one-man band sort of thing, you know. So, uh, again, thanks for the advice. I'll work on it. If anyone wants to try to help, I'm happy to hear, uh, hear you out. Uh, then another review came in from Blue Smile. Blue Smile wrote, heart, humor, and hope. Five stars. He wrote, that's not only DC on film's new mantra. 
It's also the best way I can sum up the Fanboy Podcast. Founder Mario F. Robles remembers and still revels in the joy brought by those first encounters with classic characters such as Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man, and his podcast is a celebration of that. You won't find clickbait here, nor will you find long-winded polemics about whether a certain actor has the right hair color or astrological sign to play a role. What you will find is a shoot-from-the-hip recap of the week's top stories in geek cinema, insider rumors you won't hear anywhere else, gratitude rather than snark, and a man who speaks for the child and all of us when he talks movingly of the importance of these characters to our personal and collective mythology. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Blue Smile, I think I know who you are. Uh, thank you so much for writing that. Uh, and even if you're not who I think you are, just thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, Quicksilver88 wrote, Fantastic. Five stars. It's rare to find someone that's truly a fan, but also able to present an unbiased opinion on the material they report on. From his humble and down-to-earth attitude and thorough reporting, the Fanboy Podcast is a truly great listen. Every week, I love listening in and catching up with all that's going on with things that I enjoy. Continue the great work. Thank you, Quicksilver88. Um, and last but certainly not least, we have a new listener. And this is Chris. Uh, he wrote, uh, the, it's user Apple user Chris GB2000, but he's been speaking to me on Twitter. So Chris, thank you. Because uh, Chris wrote, great podcast, five stars. This podcast was recommended to me by John and Michael of the Comic Cast podcast. And I'm glad they recommended it because it's a great podcast. Uh, yes, thank you, Michael Carell. And thank you, Jung, for having me on the comic cast for a second time. Uh, that went up about two weeks ago. If you haven't heard it yet, I strongly uh, recommend it. Those guys put on a great show and we had a very, very cool conversation about DC on film's future. But thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone who took the time to add a review over on Apple Podcasts for this show. And uh, now... Without further ado, let's talk some geeky goodness, shall we? So, first things first, we're going to start things off as we often do here at the Fanboy Podcast by talking a little Batman, because last night was a big deal. Last night, it officially became official for the second time that Ben Affleck is done as Batman. Uh, you know, granted, it was official like two weeks ago when he said it on Twitter, but just in case there were any doubts, last night Ben Affleck appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live and he flat out said, I'm not Batman. He's done. They hung up his cape and cowl and the Raptors over there, Jimmy Kimmel Live, like they would do a retired jersey. He has retired the cape. He's retired the cowl. There's no longer, there. at least there shouldn't be, any more questions as to whether or not we can see, we can expect to see Ben Affleck back in the role when he just flat out said it, I'm not Batman. So uh, what's interesting though, because that's not in, a, in, a, you know, in and of itself news, you know, I have been talking about this for over two years and he did, you know, basically say the same thing two weeks ago. So that's not news, but what is news, what I do find notable and sort of fascinating is that he's still sort of playing the public relations game a little bit. And listen, I don't blame him, I guess. You know, it's, he still work. he wants to have a good relationship with Warner Brothers and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's not a good look to be talking about behind the scenes chaos. But 
all he sort of chalked it up to was the fact that he couldn't crack it. You know, he tried to work on a script. He wanted to direct it. He wanted to stay with it. But then he made the decision to sort of pass it on because he just couldn't quite get it where he wanted. And listen, we've already heard that he, are, he had a good script. Maybe it still needed another polish. But for those of you who follow Jay Oliva over on Twitter, Jay Oliva is a filmmaker. He's handled a lot of DC animated films. I don't know about a lot. Maybe that's a mischaracterization. But he's, he's directed a few, and he was hands-on with Zack Snyder's DC films. And he worked as a storyboard artist. And in general, he was very involved with the behind-the-scenes process back when Zack Snyder was at the helm of everything, back when he was sort of the creative architect of the DC Extended Universe. And he claims he read Ben Affleck's script and it was the best Batman script he'd ever seen. Now, look, we can't take that to the bank, right? Because that's one person's subjective opinion. But it hardly sounds like Affleck couldn't crack it. You know what I mean? That's just an excuse. That's a way to just diplomatically say, ah, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't, I couldn't, per you know, uh, really honor the material fittingly, so I hope there's no hard feelings, but I, I gave it to somebody who could do it justice. And it's a nice way to sort of, you know, phrase things. But regardless of whether or not it's one man's subjective opinion, Oliva said there was a finalized script, and he said it was pretty dynamite. So that tells me that had they just given Affleck the time and the patience that they're now giving to Matt Reeves, we might, things would be so different right now. But again, I don't want to reopen. I don't want to relitigate that case. I don't want to, you know, uh, reopen any old wounds. If you want to hear like a full rant on that, go a couple of episodes ago on the Revengers podcast, shortly after Ben Affleck really made it official that he was out. And hear my thoughts on that, because it is fascinating that they're being so patient and so reasonable and so open-minded when it comes to Matt Reeves. And meanwhile, the reason Reeves got all that freedom is because of what happened with Affleck and Affleck basically flying the coop. When four months before they were going to try to start filming the Batman in California, Ben Affleck disappeared. He no longer wanted to direct it. He pulled the plug on the whole thing. And it was because the studio was rushing and the studio was going, eh, don't worry so much about the script. You're Batman. We want, we want a Batman movie. Let's just get this going. And the fact that he left and the controversy around his sudden exit, because he had just said a week prior, I think on Jimmy Kimmel, ironically, uh, he had said a week prior that everything is still on. He's good to go. He's excited. Then I think like two days after that, he said, oh, well, it's not a set thing, and we have no script, and if we can't get it to where I want it to be, then I'm not going to do it anymore. So he, he had been giving, in other words, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, you know, he had been giving some oddly contradictory statements there for a little while, and when he just suddenly dropped out, that left Warner Brothers sort of scrambling and vulnerable. Think about it. It was January of 2017. After 2016, it happened, where Batman v Superman didn't quite do what they wanted it to do, where people were you know, laughing at Suicide Squad and saying what another sort of clunker of a movie that was, despite the fact that it made some considerable money, but it still was looked at as kind of a black eye on the DC brand. So you come out of 2016, which was not an easy year, 
with those two movies. And then at the very start of 2017, you lose your Academy Award-winning director of The Batman and Ben Affleck. So they were reeling and they were vulnerable and they couldn't take another blow in the public relations department. So when Matt Reeves said, well, then I want full creative control and I want no studio meddling and I want you guys to just leave me alone to make this film on my time. They said, yes, whatever it takes, we can't have, we, you know, we need to solve this Batman problem quickly because the situation with Affleck has become a very negative story for us. So I just find it so ironic. It's so ironic that Reeves is getting to make his Batman movie his way. But meanwhile, if they would have just let Affleck do that from the beginning, we, no, we wouldn't be in any of this mess. You know, it's just, it's insane. It's insane to me. But either way, uh, Affleck mentioned that whole, you know, sort of studio spin on, oh, you know, I just couldn't crack it. So, you know, now we, uh, we've, we've passed it along to people who can do a better job. And that's a nice way to put it, Mr. Affleck. But we know there's a lot more to it than that. And we also know that he himself is not innocent in this. And I want to make that perfectly clear. Because sometimes when I talk on this show or on The Revengers, people get the impression that I'm vilifying Matt Reeves that I'm saying he's some sort of bad guy for slamming the door on Affleck's return. And, you know, listen, I, I think I sort of have played that card a little bit. I have sort of been a little one-sided in my coverage of all that. Um, and it's for good reason, you know. I, I, I have a lot of respect for Ben Affleck, and I really wanted to see his Batman. And I really wanted to see what the filmmaker of, uh, what was that one that I loved? The one uh, in Boston, The Town. I wanted to see what the guy behind the town was going to do with Batman. What the man behind, uh, what was that other one? I, I should have these titles already memorized so that I could not, you know, yammer on. Gone Baby Gone, that one. So I wanted to see what he would do with Batman. And, you know, I, I'm bummed. So I think I have been a little hard on Reeves. But it's also important to note that Affleck is no saint in this. You know, aside from the stuff that is beyond his control, the stuff, you know, he's had some, he's dealt with his personal demons, he had to deal with, you know, a divorce that was very public and very hurtful, and he had to deal with falling off the wagon and going back to rehab, and, you know, he, he's had his own personal trials and tribulations, and, and for that, I will give him all the respect and all the patience in the world, you know, because I understand that stuff, I really, really do, but... You know, I've always kind of heard over the course of the last year and a half or so that the studio itself just kind of stopped being interested in being in the Ben Affleck business because he'd become sort of unreliable. And he'd sort of emotionally checked out through all of 2017 when they needed him around to try to quote unquote rescue Justice League as those people thought they needed to do at the time. You know, he was just sort of, you know, he was not in it. He wasn't really there. If you look at his performance in Justice League, you could tell he's just sleeping his way through it. He could barely fit into the cowl anymore, which, by the way, is a fun little bit of trivia. Like, they had a different cowl maker for the second one, I think. It was something like, it was explained to me like this, that, like, they had a different cowl maker, which is why the cowl didn't look quite right, A. It didn't look the same as it did in BVS. But also... When they came back for the reshoots, 
for whatever reason, you know, maybe because they are time intensive and they take a lot of money to make, but they didn't make him a new cowl. So that's why in the reshoots, he looks like his face is like mashed inside of the thing and why it doesn't sit right on his nose. You know, it's just it's that's just one of those funny little bits of trivia. If you want to go back and watch Justice League and notice how from shot to shot, Affleck goes from chiseled and slim to bloated and half asleep. Um, But yeah, so I'd heard that the studio had trouble dealing with him, that he was not an A-list employee and that he was sort of hard to deal with there towards the end. And that's why last year, when some movement had started to come together about maybe trying to keep him and maybe bookending the Reeves film with shots of old, grizzled, present-day Batman and have Matt Reeves' new Batman essentially be just a younger version of that, when Reeves slammed the door on that, it wasn't just him going, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I want to do my own thing, leave me alone, I want my creative freedom. It was also the fact that the studio itself was very tepid on the idea. Affleck had a couple of backers, that's where it got any sort of energy. People who thought that with his star power and his awards acumen, and with the fact that now he had sort of bounced back from the low points of 2016 and 2017 in his personal life, you know, there were a couple of allies on his side, but by and large, the studio was like, he's a liability. Right now, he's a liability, and he's not worth the trouble. You know, we he's he's been our Batman now since 2014 when we announced it, 2013 when we announced it. He was Batman in three different movies so far, and all of those movies in some way, shape, or form have not done great for us in one way or another. So the studio itself really had kind of just, they wanted to wash their hands of the Affleck thing. So when that option was presented to Reeves, he knew that, like, this guy's a liability. There's other people in my ear saying he's not worth the trouble. So that's why he did his best to just close off his movie from Affleck. So I just wanted to make that clarification because I don't mean to vilify Mr. Reeves. On the contrary, I'm really rather interested in what he's going to come up with there. I've, I loved everything I heard about the first draft of his script. I loved, I've loved i loved everything he said publicly about the project and his goals for it. So the last thing I want to do is make you guys hate him, because I don't. You know, am I upset to see Batfleck go? Absolutely. But do I understand why Reeves was put in the position that he was put in and why he ultimately made the decision he, wa- he, he made? Absolutely. So... Please, guys, you know, don't don't hate Matt Reeves now because of me. All right. That's that was that that has not been my intent. And, uh, you know, let's be excited about the Batman because I am. I am. And, you know, let's talk a little bit now about the casting of the Batman because I have like a, a small update. Nothing huge. Nothing as big as two weeks ago. And it's more along the lines of last week where we're just sort of refining the list a little bit. Um, so last week I mentioned, you know, of the names that are floating around, which I, just to recap, are Ansel Elgort, Dylan O'Brien, Logan Lerman, Noah Centineo, Jack O'Connell, Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, Nicholas Holt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Army Hammer, and Robert Pattinson. Of those names, last week we scratched off all the babyface kids. 
that was Ansel Elgort, Dylan O'Brien, Logan Lerman, and Noah Centineo. And I would even say um, Taryn Egerton, who wasn't on this list that I just read out but has been named before, also out. Basically, anyone who looks like baby-faced early 20s Batman is not really in the mix because, like I said last week, we're going a little older. And what I can add for this week is that I continue now to hear, remember, Reeves is now, he's preparing his sort of next and hopefully final draft. And as he's working on that, I hear that now, you know, it, it's becoming even narrower and even more specific what type of age range he has in mind for Batman. Remember, a couple weeks ago, Justin Kroll said that he seemed to have it down to like a less than six-year window for the, for the age range he was, he was looking at actors for. Uh, but now I hear like, I think we're firmly at the 30 and up range now because I'm even hearing that like he wants this Batman to be in like a 30 something. So I would say now this opens up anyone who looks like they could be Batman between let's say 30 and let's say 34. You know what I mean? They definitely not mid thirties where like now we're starting to knock on the door of 40, but he wants someone who could be in that early thirties or maybe just 30 sort of, you know, vein, someone who's been Batman for a few, few years, someone who is an in their prime Batman. And, uh, this is all true. So yeah, so, so that's really kind of my little update on the list. And also what's interesting to share and unfortunately, I have no choice but to be a little vague here because they didn't tell me the specifics either. But they did say that some of the names on these lists are absolutely legitimate and the studio really is looking at it. Now, why is that important? Because when I first presented this list to you guys two weeks ago, I pointed out that like a lot of these names came from either, you know, just random sort of insider whispers that I've heard, as well as stuff from fellow writers. But at the time, it was very sort of unclear to me, you know, who is responsible for this list? Is this just some random wish list? Is this the agents of these actors putting their names into the pipeline so they can try to up their client's profile and try to get them to be on the studio's radar? You know, it was very sort of unclear to me. But yesterday I was told, listen, that list that you've been talking about, there are some, a couple of those names are actually really in the running. Now, I wish I could tell you who, I wish I knew who, but really, you know, aside from Army Hammer and Aaron, and Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I have been told and feel confident about that they are on the studio's wish list. Uh, you know, some of the other names that you know, linger on the list, Jack O'Connell, Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, Nicholas Holt, and Robert Pattinson. There are some other names in that collection there that are apparently accurate. I don't know which ones. I wish I could. I'm sure, you know, that would be a lot of people would love to be able to tell you who the actual final studio wish list is and who Reeves is actually trying to call in for auditions. But... All I could tell you is within that little nucleus I just gave you are a couple of real contenders. So keep those names in mind. One of them could very well end up being the new Batman. And before we get into some uh, you know, questions and topics sent in by you, my phenomenal listeners and watchers out there, I just want to touch on the worlds of DC concept. 
It's something I spoke about on this week's The Revengers, which again, if you don't check out that show, I really think you should. It's uh, If you enjoy me, if you enjoy what I do, you know, it's myself with two other people. It's more of a roundtable discussion. We cover like a, a lot sort of wider range of topics on that show than I discuss here. But something I discussed there that I think bears repeating here because it's going to factor in to some of, to, you know, some of what happened this week is this concept of Worlds of DC. You see, people just thought that that was a name for what they're trying to call the franchise now. Like, you know, the MCU, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what we call it, right? We call it the MCU. So last year at Comic-Con, when, when DC unveiled all of their new branding that read Worlds of DC, a lot of people thought, oh, okay, that's just what they're calling the franchise. But it's not just a name. It's a concept. So what they want to do now is they want to sort of give each hero their own little world where they have their main franchise, then they have their little orbit of spinoffs. You know, certain things like, okay, there's a sequel, there's a prequel, there's a side story, here's a spinoff about one character from that movie. It really kind of is like what James Wan did with the Conjuring universe, where the Conjuring gave birth to Annabelle, and it gave birth to the nun, and it's going to give birth to the Crooked Man and other stuff. You know, it's taking that idea of, you know, taking this one popular property and breaking it up into little clusters that orbit it that little you know and and it exists in its own little mini pocket universe so why do i bring this up because there's a lot of that going around this week you know on monday uh, on, on the revengers you know i brought it up with regard to that film about the trench see gold coast batman i called it the trench not the trenches i don't know why i kept calling it that but the trench uh, but yeah, I was talking about it on the Revengers with regard to the Trench movie and how that's really just going to be a low-budget horror spinoff of Aquaman. And it's all part of the world of Aquaman. Get it? Worlds of DC, world of Aquaman. Then there's also kind of like the world of Harley Quinn, right? Harley Quinn is going to have her own little mini pocket with its own cluster of things that are all related in some way, shape, or form. So right now, you know, we're, we got Birds of Prey on the way. We've got uh, Gotham City Sirens kind of floating around there. We also have this, you know, idea that's been kind of floated around also of a Birds of Prey versus Gotham City Sirens type of movie down the line. And I also personally think we're going to see Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, but, you know, in part two, the James Gunn one. But we'll talk about that a little later because one of you asked me a question about that and I will answer it more specifically there. But the point is... Worlds of DC concept is really about worlds of fill-in-the-blank, this hero. So why do I bring this up again? I bring this up because Supergirl sort of came back into the mix. You know, Mark Hughes wrote a report, which is another thing I'll get into it a little bit later because uh, some of you asked me for some specific thoughts on what Mr. Hughes wrote. Um, and I will get to that. But he, you know, he brought Supergirl back up and people have been talking about the character again and about how that film sort of will replace Superman or something like that. Or people are outraged that it would, you know, th that they would make Supergirl over a Man of Steel 2 and all this sort of stuff. And that's why I want to talk about the Worlds of DC concept. Because if you understand that, 
then you understand a lot of these little films that DC seems to be developing. A lot of these things that seem out of left field, like the Super Pets movie, or the Trench movie, or Supergirl, or whatever. You know, if you start thinking of it more as a world of that character, and that there's a bunch of projects that are meant to sort of enhance, support, and flesh out that character's world, then a lot of these movies start to make a little bit more sense. So Supergirl, you know, to be clear, because last year, you know, I sort of mentioned also that, you know, that it seems to be replacing Man of Steel, but to be more articulate, to be more specific about what that means, is that, yes, okay, it replaces it in terms of at some point last year, there was momentum to make a Superman sequel, then that disappeared, and Supergirl kind of took its place. So yes, in terms of Supergirl quote-unquote replacing Superman, it just means in terms of the production timeline. It doesn't mean in terms of his role in the universe. It doesn't mean in terms of his importance to the overall franchise. None of those things. This is just meant to flesh out the world of Superman. And right now, like I told you, they're trying to play a long game. They're trying to get you guys excited about these characters again. You know, Batman and Superman tested poorly a few, you know, as reported earlier in January. They tested very poorly around the time Justice League came out. And the studio got a little bit anxious about like, well, maybe people don't want to see Batman and Superman anymore. So they concocted this plan. They concocted this plan where they want to try to, you know, have him referenced in Shazam. They want to have him referenced in a Supergirl movie. They want to have the Super Pets movie, which is apparently going to include crypto and whatever. And it's all part of a way of like getting people hyped for Superman again so that when they reintroduce him, there's already a built-in sort of anticipation for him. They don't want you to forget about him. And that's something I said last week, too, and that's good news because there had been this fear that we're going to have to wait five, six, seven years for another Superman movie. I really don't think that's the case. I think we're maybe three to four years from a Superman movie. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to see him pop up in other things. But it does mean that we're going to have to be patient about this Cavill stuff, you know, I still think that there's more than meets the eye there. And I, I, that's something else we're going to talk about later when we get to the Hughes portion of this. Or, you know, Oliver Chang asked me some questions about that. So we are going to get specifically into that. But I do still firmly believe that there's more at play here. Because you see, with all due respect to Mark, who's a friend of mine, and we text and we talk on the phone on occasion. And, you know, we, we, we have a rapport and I... I He's a great guy. Mr. Hughes is a wonderful guy. But when it comes to Superman and when it comes to what he wrote this week about Superman being on hold, you know, remember, folks, and this is why he tweeted this, not everyone speaks to the same people. And these studios and the Hollywood industry in general is very, very large. So just because one reporter says one thing and another reporter says another, that doesn't invalidate what either one is hearing. It means this person's sources said this, this person's sources said that. Now it's up to you, the reader, the listener, the consumer, to decide to have an open mind, to decide who's been more reliable in the past, who do I trust, so on and so forth. That's up to you. 
But in actuality, nothing Hughes writes invalidates what I write. And just like nothing I say con, you know, invalidates what he writes. It's we all hear what we hear and we share what we share. So he's heard that Superman is in limbo. But something I noticed, maybe we're just going to get into it now. So it saves me the trouble later. Because I, I, I feel bad referencing all of the things we'll discuss later. We'll just talk about it now. When a lot of what Reeves, uh, about what Hughes wrote about, it all sounds eerily similar to the pre-Aquaman plan. You know what I mean? It's very much stuff that's already been established. It's the public stance on a lot of things. It's projects we've already heard about from the trades. Hughes didn't really bring a lot of new to the to the surface, to, to the table. All he really did, and again, if, Mark, if you're watching, I love you. This is not like a shot at you. You know, I just, what, you, what, what he wrote about was more so the stuff that we already, already knew about. He just kind of reaffirmed the company's stance on things, what the studio has publicly sort of shared with the world. But it doesn't seem to factor in what's happened since Aquaman became the hit that it's become. Because in the last few weeks, since Aquaman crossed a billion, and since Warner Brothers has been able to look at their DC franchise and for the first time in years go, whoa, we're out of the drama. We're on the other side of all the years of bad press. We're, we, we made it through all of that. We got through last year's Justice League thing. We got through the critical drubbing that we took in 2016. We've gotten, you know, we've emerged from the dark cloud of the last few years of DCEU stuff. And we emerged bigger and stronger than ever. People loved Aquaman. People loved DC Entertainment. We are now firmly in control of our destiny. So things have definitely changed. And there are wild cards in play. That's why it's like, you know, Mark Hughes, to me, what he was writing about was about what plan A was leading up to Aquaman. It doesn't address plans B and plans C. The, the ones that have now sprung up as a result of Aquaman's success. All the different projects that they kept in their back pocket. All the different projects that they were like, well, first we got to see how Aquaman's, you know, accepted before we move on to these things. The, the, so there's little things in play. And I've got a source that still is adamant. I spoke with them as recently as one in the morning last night. We'll try to prepare for this. And they're adamant that it is too soon to make any kind of call on Cavill's status as Superman. He says that there's still activity, that there's still something at play there, so not to kind of rule anything out, and that anyone attempting to rule him out and to say that he's definitely done is just, you know, they've got a, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to go any other, any further than what I was about to just say, because then it's going to sound like I'm calling out people, and I really, I don't want the drama. You know, believe what you want to believe, folks. If you believe me, uh, there's a lot of reason to be patient, to see how things unfold, and to be hopeful. Really, I think Aquaman opened a lot of doors, and I think. There's a lot of exciting stuff on the way, so we just got to be patient. We have to let the studio do its thing. But right now, the future of DC on film, to me, is extremely exciting. And it might be because 
you know, I'm, I'm very open to the changes that are coming. And some of you who've wanted to believe that nothing is changing, that we're continuing on with what happened with Man of Steel and BVS, and you know, who wants to act like the status quo is now in place, I have a feeling you're the ones who are having the most trouble with all the changes that are happening. And I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry. I, change can be tough, especially if you were attached to a lot of the plans and a lot of the stuff that at one point was coming. But now it's time to move on. You know, and I, I hate to say that, uh, and I, I say that without a hint of, you know, uh, condescension. I'm not patronizing you. I feel for you. Listen, in certain ways, I'm still clinging to certain things from the past too. But we have to all accept that there's been a pivot, that things are changing, things are not going to look and feel the way they did during the early years of this shared DC universe. We have to just accept that, join them on this pivot, and move on. To sort of like borrow a line from Bill Maher, he talks about this concept of the slow-moving coup. Well, we've been having a slow-moving reboot of the DC Cinematic Universe for a while. And I think it's sort of shocking to some of you because there had been hope that like, oh, with the success of Aquaman, now there's no reboot coming. That'll show the haters. But that's really not the case. You know, now is not the time to be thumping your chest and, and, and acting like Aquaman is proof that they're not rebooting. If anything, Aquaman is the example of the type of reboot we're getting which is to say it's not a hard reboot. They're not recasting everyone. They're not completely throwing out the old continuity. This is not like a situation like how Batman Begins was a reboot following Batman and Robin. So it was completely just from scratch, from zero, forget about Batman and Robin and the, Batman, and the Burton Batman movies. This is not that kind of reboot. It's also not like the reboot that happened with Casino Royale and the James Bond franchise when, again, when Daniel Craig took over, they completely did a 180 and acted like nothing else ever happened. So this is not that kind of reboot where it's just we're throwing out everything and starting from the beginning, but it really is kind of like that soft reboot where we're going to change the tones, we're going to tweak the costumes, we're going to change how these characters are presented. And that is what's happening here. So it's been a slow-moving, soft reboot ever since Walter Hamada and Toby Emmerich kind of took over. When Toby Emmerich rose to power at Warner Brothers and he appointed Walter Hamada, the slow-moving, you know, reboot uh, was in full effect. And it had already even begun already the year prior when Jeff Johns and Diane Nelson and John Berg were running things. So this has kind of been on the horizon for a while and it's continuing to be a thing. And I hope you guys are on board with it because that is what's going on here. All right. The, the franchise is evolving. These characters are going to be presented in ways that are different and possibly contradictory to one another. But like a perfect example, by the way, is... I'm almost positive that be it in the next Superman movie or be it in the next Batman movie, they're going to completely do away 
with that idea that Batman, that, that Gotham and Metropolis are neighboring cities, like they were in BVS, where they could see each other from across the water. I'm almost positive that that's going to go away because of how they want to keep these characters individualized and they want to save the shared universe stuff for way down the line when they're running a victory lap because of how good all of these individual little worlds of DC are doing. So with that in mind, there's going to be lots of stuff like that. There's going to be lots of stuff where they just don't even really acknowledge it. They're just going to act like certain things didn't happen. And they're going to keep certain things that did, but they're also going to completely ignore things that didn't. So that's why I say it's a soft reboot. That's why I say it's been going on for the last two years, for those of you who've been paying attention. And that's why we just have to kind of roll with the punches here if we're DC fans and we want to try to give the new era a shot. And, you know, that's, uh, that's all I really have to say about that. So you know what? Let's go ahead and get into your questions. So the first question I'm going to take comes from Twitter user Emmett Davis. How you doing, Emmett? Um, yeah, he wanted to know about Jason Momoa's very interesting week. And the reason I'm starting with this question today is because it, it pertains to what I was just talking about, the new DC, the soft reboot, the, the, the sort of DC 2.0. Because Jason Momoa is kind of like the poster child of the new DC. He's going to be like the mascot. It's amazing what happens when you're good-looking, charismatic, and you are the front man for a $1 billion superhero movie. Suddenly now the studio is like, let's get behind you. Let's make you the face of this thing. Because that's the thing, too. Warner Brothers has wanted a face. That's one of the reasons why they're, you know, they kind of moved on from Ben Affleck. They, they wanted that... Someone with a real sort of social media presence, someone who, you know, a celebrity that they could connect one to one with the DC brand who represents them well. You know, and I, I've heard the comparison made a bunch of times uh, with, with, with one particular insider at Warner Brothers to they wanted Ben Affleck to be like the Robert Downey Jr., of the DC universe. Now, maybe that was unrealistic because Ben Affleck has never been a big social media guy and he's never really been known for really kind of like having this chummy relationship with fans. But they were really hoping with Affleck in, around that they'd have someone who could be like their ambassador in much the same way as uh, Robert Downey Jr. and much the same way as Chris Evans. If you think about what Chris Evans has done with the role of Captain America and the way now he speaks on Twitter and he's this, you know, sort of national figure now who he comments on what's going on in the country. And he, it, you read it in his Captain America voice. But, you know, but like he's he's found a way to cultivate his Marvel fame and to represent the Marvel brand extremely well. And he lives his gimmick to kind of borrow a wrestling term. He lives his gimmick. He lives his Captain America shtick, kind of like Robert Downey Jr. lives his Tony Stark shtick. If you pay attention to a lot of his, you know, Facebook posts and Twitter posts and everything, he pretty much, you know, he's Tony Stark in real life. He has that same sort of sarcastic, funny way about him and that disarming sort of way of making you laugh, even though he's being kind of a prick. And, you know, he, he's living the Tony Stark gimmick, probably because he modeled Tony Stark after himself. But the point is, and what this has to do with Jason Momoa, is that Warner Brothers, this has been all part of a calculated campaign by them to have Momoa be the guy. That's why 
at the end of last year, in like October, November, they launched a YouTube page just called like Jason Momoa, just to follow his press tour for Aquaman. Because they knew this guy gets it. He's likable. When he goes on his social media, all of his fans react. He knows how to create good word of mouth. He knows how to create grassroots support. People pay attention, and he seems to just love doing it. So they've leaned into that. They've maybe even given him certain incentives. I don't know. I can't, you know. But they want him to be the face of the brand. So that's why you're seeing these little Instagram videos hyping stuff up. And that's why his social media online presence has gone up so much in these last few months. Because rather than have a figurehead in a suit show up at a podium to tell you what DC's working on next, they'd rather you excitedly hear it from someone like Jason Momoa, from someone who is involved in these projects. Because that's how you get the real grassroots thing. You as a fan are more likely to get excited about a project if you hear about it from one of its stars than you are from some studio executive. And Warner Brothers knows that. So I bring that up because the Momoa stuff this week is all part of that. Now let's talk about what he spoke about because he took two meetings. He said great things about both. One of them we now know what it was about, but there's another one we still have questions about. So the one that we know about was the meeting he took at Legendary Pictures. Because the very next day, word broke that he's going to be in Dune. And that is a legendary production. So that's what that meeting was about. The one having to do with Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment, which is the one that you guys are really excited about. And, you know, for obvious reasons. And, you know, a lot of the speculation was that it had to do with the Snyder Cut for some reason. Uh, it's not about the Snyder Cut, guys. Um, you want to know specifically what it's about? You know, unfortunately... You know, I, I, I don't have, like, specifics in mind, but what I think is going on, based on things I have heard, is that I think they sort of unveiled for him their ideas for the world of Aquaman, for his own little Aquaverse. So I think they kind of, like, pulled him in to talk about, here's what the trench is going to be like, and here's how we'd like you involved with that. Here's kind of what we're working on, the early ideas for Aquaman 2. And then maybe they dangled a third thing in front of him, which I would not be surprised if there is some other kind of spinoff. Maybe Mira's going to get her own movie. I have no idea about it. This is just me spitballing. But since they want to do that thing where there's Aquaman is the main thing, but there's a bunch of little spinoffs around it, I think what they did and what that meeting was, was they finally you know, unveiled what they're thinking of doing with the world of Aquaman. And he's crazy excited because who wouldn't be? You know what I mean? So I think that's what he's talking about. He found out some else, you know, some other ideas of what they have planned for the world of Aquaman. And I think they also told him some of the stuff that like, you know, they're overall, how they're looking at the state of the franchise and where DC's headed. So I think it was more of just a powwow of like, listen, Jason, we love you. We're going to continue to you know, ride the Aquaman train alongside you. Here's what we need you to do. Here's what we're planning to do to support your franchise. Let's go out there and get people excited. And I'm, I'm almost positive that that's what it was about. Um, and by the way, since I did bring up the Snyder Cut, I have to, uh, I have to say, 
I'm more in favor of that now than ever. I've been meaning to mention that. I've never been against the Snyder Cut. Uh, I've always wanted to see it just more so as a curiosity. But the way I look at it, now that Aquaman made a billion, now that Warner Brothers knows that there's no more Piper to pay for the sins of the past, now that they know that this film couldn't possibly hurt them anymore, because that was the fear leading up to Aquaman, why would we release the Snyder Cut which is an alternate version of the last movie we put out, if it's just going to muddy the waters and potentially hurt Aquaman. But now that Aquaman's out, and Aquaman showed the studio that people don't necessarily care about all that drama, that people don't, you know, all the stuff that happened last year with Justice League and Zack Snyder and Henry Cavill's lip and Ben Affleck's in-and-out game and everything, well, all of that stuff is now firmly in the past. It's firmly behind them now. It can't hurt them any longer because now, you know, that's it. Aquaman has changed the game. So with that in mind, now I'm like, what's the harm? Let's release the Snyder Cut. It's not ready to go. It's close, but it's still going to take some money. It's still going to take some work to wrap it up. But at this point, I go, if you really have the materials, if you have everything just kind of sitting there, Let's just wrap this puppy up, throw it on a Blu-ray, and ship it out, even if it's just for the hardcore collectors. Maybe put it at a price point where general audience members won't even want to buy it, because maybe that works in your favor, because you don't want to confuse them. Because I'm sure his movie is going to end up like, it's going to feel like the part one of something. And we already know we're not getting the part two or the part three. So maybe they want to price it at a point where general audiences won't just stumble on it. But the hardcore people, the people who've been wanting it all this time, they'll shell out 50 bucks for a special edition of Justice League. And they will now have their little alternate fun collector's item, the relic of what might have been. General audiences won't bat an eyelash at it. And they'll make some extra money off it. Why not? So I've, I've been meaning to mention that, by the way, because the success of Aquaman really has sort of like fundamentally changed how I look at the Snyder Cut thing. Now it's less of a curiosity that oh, yeah, I'll check it out when it comes out in 20 years. Now I'm like, what are you waiting for? Just do it. There's no harm, no foul. May as well just get it out there, you know? Um, so, okay. So Emmett asked about Jason Momoa's week. That's what I think uh, what it was all about. Um, then there's Oliver Chang. Oliver Chang asked me for a couple of things. He wanted me to kind of give my thoughts on what I think of, uh, of certain films that are coming up. He asked me about what, you know, how do I think they're going to handle Batgirl? Because remember, that's a project we heard about last year that we haven't heard much else about ever since. Uh, all I think about that, in all honesty, is that it's going to be part of Harley's little pocket. You know, I, I, which is funny, right? Because you'd think she'll be part of the world of Batman. But I get this sense that since they hired Christina Hodson, who's part of, um, you know, she wrote Birds of Prey. She also wrote Bumblebee. But either way, she wrote Birds of Prey. And then from that, she got Batgirl. So, and we know Batgirl has a relationship with the Birds of, Pay, Birds of Prey. She also has a relationship or a history with some of the characters who are potentially going to be in Gotham City Sirens. All this sort of girl gang sort of stuff that's going on. So I have a feeling 
that if the Batgirl movie happens, which I don't know if it will or it won't, but if it does happen, I have a feeling it's going to spring up in Harley's corner, not Batman's corner, which is kind of funny to think about. But that that's kind of what I, that's the direction I see them heading. I see these films being set in the present day where, remember, there's like a missing Batman storyline. That's what Birds of Prey is going to sort of hint at, that Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne and Batman have been missing from Gotham for a while. So I think she's going to be part of what rises up in Batman's, in Batman's absence in this new present-day DC universe, while the Matt Reeves Bat films are all going to be set figure 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 years prior to what we've seen. And if we're, if we're going to stick with the idea that BVS happens, I want to say maybe in 2014, right? Because even though the film came out in 2016, I think it came out a certain amount of months after Man of Steel, maybe like six months or something like that. And Man of Steel took place in 2013. So if we're looking back like 15 years or so, the Matt Reeves stuff is going to start in the mid to late 90s. So the Reeves films will all predate these, whereas in the present tense, we're going to have a Batman who's missing. And it's also a way, by the way, to get you guys excited about the new Batman actor. And so that when we do eventually get some sort of shared universe crossover film, that young Batman actor who will be, you know, 30 to 32 when he makes his debut, by the time he plays present day Batman, he'll already be like 36, 37 years old. And it's much easier to throw a little gray on the temples and age him up to be the older present day Batman who's in his mid 40s when or if we eventually get back to a present day continuity with this Batman. So that's kind of my overall theory on Batgirl, what world she'll be a part of, how they're going to address Batman in these next few films, and kind of what I think they're building towards with the way the world of Batman and the world of Harlequin will eventually sort of connect. But I think we're a ways off from seeing the present-day Batman anytime soon, and I, that's why I think Batgirl will sort of rise up in his steed as part of the recurring mystery of where is Batman in terms of the present-day DC films. So um, hopefully that answers your question there, Ollie. He also asked me about Green Lantern Corps, and a few of you did, so I'm going to answer this for all of you. Who asked about the Green Lantern Corps? Which, by the way, now the sun is directly in my eyes and my face is glowing. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, I, I now seem to have a glow. I look like freaking Starman now. But anyway, um, what I think about Green Lantern Corps, believe it or not, is, first of all, it's still coming. It's still being worked on actively. Jeff Johns is really putting a lot of work and energy into this. They want to get this just right. But if you ask me, I think creatively speaking, this is going to be the next Aquaman. Think about that for a second. Aquaman was this big, crazy, colorful, larger-than-life cartoon comic book adventure that was based on the building blocks of one Jeff Johns. And Green Lantern Corps is going to be that but in space. And I think that there's going to be more to it than just that. Um, you know, I think it's going to be similar in tone. I think it's going to be visually amazing. 
and you know it's 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 similar to Aquaman. It's going to follow the whole the whole heart humor and heroics mantra that they want for DC on film nowadays. And so I you know I actually expect it. I expect us to hear something about Green Lantern Corps within the year, and to see them try and get that into theaters in 2021, along with Batman, along with Suicide Squad. And mind you, this is all this is my spitballing. Okay. I see it coming in 2021 and maybe even taking the Aquaman release window that was such a success. You know, that 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 mid to late December Christmas release window where they just had a bunch of success with Aquaman. I see Green Lantern Corps coming in around this same time in around 2021 and inviting people on a cosmic intergalactic adventure around Christmas time because that worked really nicely. Granted, it wasn't cosmic or intergalactic, but people loved the escape, uh, the escapism, the rollicking action adventure, larger than life qualities of Aquaman. And I think Green Lantern Corps is going to be marketed in much the same way as that awesome escape that you cannot miss around Christmas time. And on top of that, it would make a lot of sense too, because a lot of people associate Christmas time with Star Wars nowadays. So people are used to kind of going out into outer space and seeing cool characters doing epic stuff. And I think Green Lantern Corps is going to scratch that itch something awful. So that's my plan. That's my, that is my personal speculation about Green Lantern Corps. But in terms of in a more literal sense, I have heard that work on it has not ceased that even though we haven't heard heard about it in a while, it's not because it stopped or it stalled out, but rather that Jeff Johns is very much hard at work on this baby, and we're going to hear some news on it, you know, at some point in the not-so-distant future. All right? Um, and I think that covers it for, you know, Oliver asked me like seven questions. Oliver, I'll have to answer other ones some other time. <laughs> um, so the next one is from Virgil T. Hart, Jonathan Brady who writes for Revenge of the Fans, and we talk all the time about Batman rumors, and he's written some, he wrote a really good column about the Batman rumors that have been floating around. Uh, he just wanted me to ask about Christopher Abbott. He's been campaigning for Christopher Abbott uh, to be Batman. And he asked me if I thought that there was any chance for him. And all I'll say, Jonathan, and to anyone else who's interested in Mr. Abbott, uh, you know, I think he fits the mold. I'm on board with him. We can file him under fan casting for now. We can file him under falling into what we think Matt Reeves is looking for, based on some of these other names. But as of now, I haven't heard him mentioned by anyone close to the situation. So I really think Christopher Abbott is just a fan cast situation for now there, Jonathan. All right, I'm sorry. Um, Tavo Borrego, who's clearly got wrestling on the brain because he just showed up on the Fanboy Garage to talk about wrestling. He asked me, you know, who's my favorite wrestler and why? So real quick, my favorite wrestler is the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Why? Because he can do it all, you know? He can he can mat wrestle. He can do the aerial stuff. He could do, like, hardcore matches. I mean, he just, he's all over the place. He's got incredible versatility. I, should, I guess I should say past tense since he has retired. Um, but, yeah, Shawn Michaels is my favorite. It's also, I feel a personal connection to Shawn. Because since I started watching wrestling back in 1987, that means I've been able to watch his full evolution. 
we I've got to watch him go from being with you know the rock and rollers with Marty Jannetty and just sort of a generic high flying blonde kid to being you know kicking him through the window at the Brutus Barber Beefcake you know, at the at the barber shop becoming a heel going solo becoming the heartbreak kid becoming the lovable underdog with Jose Lothario trying to live out the boyhood dream to then joining DX and becoming the evil egotistical you know anti-hero that he was there then i got to see his re-emergence in 2002 like you know the fact that i've gotten to see this character from sperm to worm i've gotten to see him soup to nuts go from being a rookie to being what he is today even you know, he just wrestled last year out of retirement at, at crown jewel the fact that i've gotten to see him go through all of these evolutions just naturally puts me on a personal level with him, I feel like. It just makes me like relate to his journey. It's an angle in and of itself to have watched Shawn Michaels' personal story evolve over these last, you know, almost 30 years that I've been keeping an eye on the professional wrestling industry. So that's why I love Shawn. He's my favorite, and he always will be. Uh, Kelly Kaiser, or Kylie Kaiser, I think that's how I pronounce it. Kylie, how you doing? Uh, Kylie asked what I think James Wan's next DC film will be. Um, in short, because I, I just noticed I am starting to run low on time here and I got to go pick up my kids. Uh, Ms. Kaiser, what I think is, despite all the options available to him, despite the fact that everyone thinks now, because of what a great job he did with Aquaman, so why not give him The Flash since that seems to have stalled out? Why not give him Superman or why not give him a Justice League 2 one day? You know, we're all thinking big right now with Mr. Wan because of what he was able to accomplish with Aquaman. But I really do think his next film will be Aquaman 2. I think, you know, he's going to develop the trenches. The trench, sorry, Matt from Australia. Um, he's going to develop the trench, but someone else will direct it. He's maybe going to develop some other sort of spin-off or prequel set in the Aquaman world. But the next time he's actually in the director's chair for a DC film, I'm almost positive will be for an Aquaman too. And then yeah, if he's you know if he's still having a great time years down the line from now, I would totally give him the nod. I would you know I would totally call him up when it's time to finally get to a Justice League two. Um, Twitter user, the Jordan Davis one. Uh, he asked just about what I think about Shazam and how I think it's going to do. And do I think since it's testing well, will it be as big a hit as, uh, as some could hope? Or is it perhaps going to get lost in the shuffle with Infinity War? And right now, you know, Mr. Davis is not seeing a lot of promotion for it. Uh, Jordan, I think Shazam is going to do phenomenal numbers, actually. I think Warner Brothers is going to promote the heck out of it once we get closer to it. You got to remember, they've been doing this sort of stuff now where they really only push extremely hard when we are about one month away from a film. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet with Shazam. Shazam is April 5th. So that means that we're still a couple weeks away from the promotion for this film really hitting its hardest sort of stride, really hitting, finding its groove and doing its thing. Um, by the way, I want to make sure I'm not lying to you. So right now I'm going to pull up my phone right here. I'm not going to break. I'm not going to do it. Just want to make sure I have the Shazam release date on right. Yes, April 5th. See? It's crazy. Anyway, um, I have so much useless information in my head. It's... A lot. I'm going to move a little bit so I'm not 
completely in the sun. I feel like the video might be hard for some of you to watch now because I'm literally glowing here. But uh, yeah, I think Shazam is going to turn a very healthy profit, especially if the rumors are true that it only costs $90 million to make because that means it'll turn a profit within like a week or two. Um, and my final sort of guesstimation is it's going to cross the $700 million sort of threshold. And that's a huge deal if the film actually only costs $90 million to make. So I don't think Shazam is going to sink. I think it's going to soar. I think more than anything, it's going to pull in outsiders because of how accessible it is. Remember, you don't have to be a hardcore fan to be intrigued by the premise for Shazam. You don't have to know who this character is to be intrigued by the premise of Shazam. You could have never seen a DC film in your entire life or a superhero film ever at all of any kind to see the trailers for Shazam and go, that looks like a neat story because it's about an every person. It's about a kid who is imbued with these powers and who hasn't at some point when even when they were a kid used to think about being a superhero and tying a towel around their neck and how cool would it be to be a superhero. So that's why if you ask me, Shazam is going to pull in, it's going to pull in all the hardcores, but it's also going to pull in all people who who wouldn't typically come. It's going to pull in non-traditional viewers, people who see the TV spots and see the trailers and go, that looks like a lot of fun and I'm going to go check that out. So I think Shazam is going to be just fine. Um, at Vivek Thinks on Twitter, asked me if I think Danny Garcia is either a genius or the worst thing that ever happened to Henry Cavill. You know, is she ruining Cavill's career or is she a genius for some of these things that she's done? Um, I think she's a little bit of both. I do think she's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think she's, she's learned how to create hype. We can't underestimate her. I think she's done a great job helping Dwayne Johnson create an amazing career. But I also think that she has to realize that not every client is going to be Dwayne Johnson. Not every client is The Rock. So she's going to have to learn that Henry is not Dwayne Johnson and that every client that she signs in the future is not going to be able to be some global force, some bankable brand all by themselves, because that seems to be what she wants to turn Henry into. And it's one of the reasons why she alienated Henry from the studio and why they kind of just did a 180 on them and said, you know what, we're, no, we're not really interested in working with you last September. You know, I think that's changed now, by the way. But that's how they got into this pickle to begin with. So do I think she's a mad, you know, a genius or the worst thing that's ever happened? I think she's a little bit of both. I think she's a genius, but she just has to learn that not, not everyone is Dwayne Johnson. In fact, few people are. And the final question I'm going to take today comes from Chase Smith. Chase asked me what I want to see out of the three following films, what I want to see out of Suicide Squad, what I want to see out of Batman, and what I want to see out of Superman. Specifically with Suicide Squad, what I want to see James Gunn do is really kind of live up to the promise of what this could be. You know, Suicide Squad is an interesting concept. You get a bunch of heroes, a bunch of anti-hero types trying to work on the threats that the big heroes cannot that is a very simple conceit. It's a very simple premise, but it's a cool one. 
and it relies on the characters and the interplay and the chemistry and some of the inherent absurdity of what they have to do. And I think Gunn will be pretty good at that. I hope he doesn't overload it with jokes and stuff like he did on those Guardians movies, which I was not a huge fan of. I always at least enjoyed them. I didn't love either one of them. But that's what I want to see. I want to see James Gunn give us a great ensemble film that lives up to the premise of what Suicide Squad can be, a group of misfits dealing with threats and situations that are below the pay grades of the Flash, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Little queer, make it quirky, make it more about the character, make it more of an underworld, more intimate, character-driven sort of property than what David Ayer did because, listen, I, I love David Ayer, but the black hole over Gotham and the crazy fighting a giant sphinx and a witch lady and giant walking blackberries, like it was insane. It, it, it went too big. It lost, it, it took a great little premise and then completely overexposed it and it moved beyond what that is. I really hope the video is not unwatchable for those of you who are watching. Half of my face is uh, on fire, but um in terms of Batman, what I want to see, I really just want to see exactly what's been promised so far. I want my noir-driven, noir-driven, noir-driven detective story that takes place before everything that we've seen. Something really psychological, something where we really get to see the world's greatest detective establish him as the Sherlock Holmes of the DC universe. That's what I want for Batman. What I want for Superman. Now, this I could talk about for hours. And maybe next week, when I have a little more time, I will expand on this. But what I want to see from Superman is I want to see Henry Cavill return. I want a film that begins a day after Justice League. And maybe isn't set there in its entirety. Maybe after the first five or ten minutes, then we go into an opening credits and we kind of see a, lap, a time lapse occur. But I want those first five or ten minutes to be Clark's first day, your first morning back from the dead because we got to see his little re you know the the rebirth in justice league and we got to see him revisit the smallville set and have that scene with with lois and his mom out in the cornfield but then you know according to the timeline in justice league i think he went and and fought steppenwolf later that day so let's go to the very following morning steppenwolf has been vanquished clark is back he has to look at his complicated legacy, what's happened in the past, what he's learned now as he's ready to kind of take on with a new lease on life and been given this gift of a second chance and lean into that. Have him talk with Lois or perhaps Ma back at the farm about how bumpy things have been and, and perhaps what he's learned and what he hopes to be and what he wants Superman to symbolize for the people of Earth. And then after that sort of conversation, an interesting beat, a, a dramatic sort of scene, then now Warner Brothers presents and we get into the opening credits and we see almost like a montage under the credits of Superman doing all the things that we love Superman for doing. And now you bring us into the present day of whatever that is. Now two years have passed, three years, four years have passed since Justice League. Now we have an established confident Superman who's firing on all cylinders. And now we can tell a story set in this sort of world. So that's what I want to see for Superman. 
I will expand on that further next week. I'm sorry for having to cut this a uh, little short, but I've been talking for a lot longer than I planned. I have to go pick up my kids. I'm going on a bachelor party tomorrow that I organized for my best buddy, Greg. So I have seven, I have six guys texting me. They need the details for tomorrow in Atlantic City. So I got stuff to do. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to episode 87 of the Fanboy Podcast. Please feel free to go and leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to keep visiting revengeofthefans.com. Visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash revengeofthefans. And until next week, folks, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. <laughs>